How do you feel when you hear the word confrontation? Just give that a question a moment to sink in. How do you feel when you hear the word confrontation? Now, some of us have been experiencing a lot of different internal confrontation. And over the last six weeks, we have been learning about the emotions that want to take charge of us. When these emotions are left unchecked, they can lead us into a place, into a way of living that is full of unhealthy conflict. So we have been looking at practical ways to recognize these emotions when they threaten to take charge of us. Our foundational text for this entire series has been Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. But specifically, starting in verse 18 to 20, that says, Don't you see that nothing that enters the person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And then Jesus goes on and he says, What comes out of a person is what actually defiles them. Now, I remember teaching my youngest son to bike. I asked him if I could share this story. He said, sure, dad, I've changed. And I said, okay, kind of, but anyways. So he gave me a green light to share this story. I began teaching him how to bike when he was like two or three years old. And I remember he was pretty young and maybe he was too young to start. And we began and he would pedal along, but once in a while, something wouldn't work right and he just couldn't do it. And he'd fall off the bike or he'd get off the bike and he would scream at the bike and he would kick the bike. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's in you. That's in there already. And I think if we're very honest with ourselves, we have to acknowledge that we're all capable of things that can defile us. That's our starting point. And over the last five weeks, we unpacked regular emotions, everyday emotions that we all have, that we need to monitor because they have the propensity to create conflict. So today, as we conclude this series, I want to address very important emotions to conclude. These are the emotions that masquerade themselves as virtues. These are the emotions that at first glance seem virtuous and good, but are actually destructive to us and to others around us. They masquerade as compassion, sympathy, as care. They can even masquerade as love. But this is what makes them so particularly problematic and particularly dangerous to our emotional and spiritual health is they look like love when they're not. Before we move into exploring these tricky emotions further, I want to begin today with a brief overview of what Jesus puts at the heart of his ethics. That is love, the real thing, not the emotions that can masquerade as love. Let's be honest, sometimes love doesn't always feel loving. We know this because what love sometimes demands of us can feel as anything but love. At some point, if you're a good parent, you will have to do something that will cause you to have a confrontation with your child to do the right thing. Because you know the road ahead of them and where it will lead them if you don't instill character and the right behavior. And you will have to withstand the confrontation and the pain of having your child be angry at you. Maybe you remember that moment in your life when you, were young, when you were young and your parent or your guardian did the right thing, loving thing that you didn't feel loving or caring at the time. So much so that you might even thought that, that you hate them in that moment. It, does, it didn't and it doesn't feel like love or care. It feels so much like the opposite 
of love. Love can be very difficult. It doesn't come easy. And sometimes we have emotions that rise up in us that try to give us an easy way out, out of what love actually requires of us. Worst of all, these emotions can trick us into thinking they are love when they are anything but. These things like fear of rejection, discomfort with conflict, apprehension around confrontation. These are the emotions that masquerade themselves as sensitivity and care and love. Don't they? Fear, discomfort, and apprehension. Do we really want fear, discomfort, and apprehension to be in charge of our lives? Do we really want that? So how do these emotions try to convince us that they are love? Have you ever observed a friend take on a destructive habit or a behavior? And have you maybe not said anything because you were afraid it would jeopardize your friendship? That would be fear of rejection. Have you ever hidden your true feelings about something important? Have you hid it deep inside from your close friends or family members because you knew it would lead to conflict? That would be discomfort with conflict. Or have you ever given into your child's demands in order to avoid confrontation? That would be apprehension of confrontation. In all of these cases, we might actually convince ourselves that we're being loving by saving our loved ones from hardships. When in truth, these emotions actually sabotage our relationships in the long run. None of these situations are easily resolved and all of them required a great deal of wisdom. But here's the challenge as we have been looking at different emotions, specifically to those of us who say we are followers of Jesus. In order to be what Jesus calls us to be for other people, we need to seriously recognize that fear discomfort, apprehension, have a way of masquerading and pretending to be love. But there is another emotion that masquerades as love, and it might seem kind of counterintuitive. And that emotion is apathy or indifference, to put it in other words. What is highly unsettling about this fourth emotion is that it is actually not so much of an emotion, but lack of emotion a lack of concern where there should be a concern for yourself, for others, for the world around you. And we rarely recognize apathy until it's too late. Do you know what I mean? The things we have said to someone or things we thought about or even maybe gossiped about, things like, man, if they keep going like that, their marriage won't last. Or if he keeps spending like that, he will ruin himself financially and destroy his business. Or maybe if she keeps that up, her health won't last. You know, and you have other sayings that you might have thought or gossiped about. And when we think these things, when we say these things, when we gossip about these things, what we're really saying is, well, it's none of my business or, you know, I shouldn't interfere. So let me ask you, do you really want apathy to be in charge of you? Now, it's true that not everything is your business, thankfully, but we'd be wise to ask ourselves, if we're truly acting out of love or are we acting out of indifference in these circumstances? Consider this, when you're having serious life decisions, when you're making big choices in your life, when things are coming at you fast in life, do you want your friends to mind their business or do you want your close friends, your family members, people you know you love, do you want them to be fearful and uncomfortable or apprehensive 
or apathetic or indifferent? Or would you want them to step up, to step in, to speak into a situation that could possibly ruin you financially, ruin you relationally, ruin your reputation? Do we want friends to step up to help us see the repercussions of our decisions or be indifferent? We should want people to speak into our lives, even when it's uncomfortable, because that is the best way to go forward. We should want people who can say to fear, who can say to discomfort, who can say to apprehension, who can say to apathy, you are not in charge of me. Friends, it's when we actually love and care that we will be able to step in and have friends that are willing to step in for us and say the difficult things that seem as unloving and uncaring, but are actually true love at work. True love for our friends when we see them make choices that are leading them on a trajectory of destruction. Now, if you're a Christian, you specifically have a mandate to act out of love by not letting fear, discomfort, apprehension, and apathy take charge. Because Jesus taught this very important lesson. And he says in Matthew, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Now, before we jump ahead of this verse and before we unpack the context of this wildly misinterpreted verse, let's just give our emotions a check right now. Are you feeling fear? discomfort, or apprehension right in this moment as you hear this verse, as you hear, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. What are you experiencing right now when you hear that? I mean, there are some of you that are really bold. There are some of you that don't really even care about other people's feelings who are saying, yes, that's right, exactly. We need to confront them. Jesus said so, I should be confronting people. But really, most of us who understand how the world works and understand to be sensitive, most of us feel the fear, discomfort, and apprehension when we hear this verse. We wrestle with the inner questions like, well, is it really my business? They didn't really ask me. I don't want to destroy our friendship. The key to fully understand what Jesus meant by these words is found earlier in the text. This is actually a conclusion to a longer teaching And context here gives us so much power and meaning. So let's just back up and go right to the start of the chapter in Matthew 18.1. And we read here that it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So now you can imagine the disciples are very confused. At this time, they thought Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem and establish a new monarchy and to overthrow the Romans. They were going to be the disciples. We're going to be placed a second in command right at his right hand side. And Jesus changes it all on them in that moment. We see it right away. He's driving something totally different and something much more powerful. And he says, as he takes a little child and says, this is the example of greatness. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their necks and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What Jesus is teaching is that it's one thing, it's like 
one thing to get tripped up in life because life is complicated. It's difficult. And the world is really messy. But if someone causes a person to get tripped up on purpose, if they get in someone's way, that's a really serious thing. This is Jesus' way of saying, don't be the person who gets in the way of someone else's marriage, someone else's finances, someone else's employment. Don't be the cause of destruction of their well-being. Don't be the cause of them leaving their faith. And how big of a deal is this for Jesus? How big is it the stumbling and causing people to lose their way? Look at what he says next. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. Or he continues, and if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. This is such strong language here. If there's anything in your life, anything that you have control and power over, confront it and deal with it. This is what Jesus is saying. It may mean throwing something away, a habit, an addiction. Deal with it. You have control over it. And the reason Jesus is using such extreme language is because as we see in Jesus' life, he loves you so much that he would do anything to prevent you from tripping up, from stumbling, so to save you. This is a big deal because you're a big deal and you're a big deal to Jesus. There's some pretty extreme language in this passage, particularly the word hell, for example, which has been translated from the original word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna is a literal place. It was a literal place where people before Jesus were sacrificing their children to pagan gods. So this place around Jerusalem was considered cursed because of its awful, awful history. And eventually this place was used to burn garbage. So what Jesus is saying is this. So don't miss this out. What Jesus is saying, it is better for you to throw things out of your life than for your entire life to be thrown into chaos, to be thrown into fire, to be thrown into destruction, to create chaos. Now, have you ever stumbled? Of course, we all have stumbled. And for some of us, when it, when it unraveled, when it became an addiction, when it costed you your job, your family, your finance, you wish and you pray you could go back and undo it. Don't you? You wish you didn't say yes. You wish you didn't keep that phone number. You wish you didn't go for that drive. You wish you didn't add that app. You wish you didn't. Uh, we can go on and you can fill in the blank for yourself. If you could go back, you would throw it away rather than throw your life into Gehenna, into chaos. Confront what is causing you to stumble. Confront what is causing little ones to stumble. This is the context that Jesus is teaching here. He's saying confront that which causes the little ones to stumble. Confront that which causes you to stumble. And then, this is so interesting, right in the midst of this confronting things that cause us to stumble, Jesus switches gears just a little and he says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep 
than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish, should wander off, should stumble. Think of the power here. If you have stumbled, if you have been throwing your life into chaos, into Gehenna, God is so happy, much more happy than he is about the 99 who haven't, to have you back. Think about the power and extreme love that God has for you. This is why Jesus used such extreme language here. He cares just as much for you as he does for the little child in his illustration. And he's just a set against the behaviors and decisions that can cause either of you to stumble and fall out of relationship with him. So when you see someone you love, someone you care about, if they stumble, you now have the responsibility to go after that one and leave the 99. Why is that your job? Why is that your responsibility? Because look at what Jesus now says. Now we finally get to the context of the verse we started with, to the conclusion. We saw the whole thing of Jesus talking about if something stumbles, if something causes you to sin, throw it away, cut it away, get get that out of your life. And now we get here and he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I have heard people use this passage as a way to shun people who God loves. This is not what Jesus is saying here. Remember that Matthew, the guy who wrote this, was a tax collector who became a disciple, who's an apostle, who wrote this down. How was he treated? No, what Jesus is saying is that when you confront people, you are assuming the person sees the world as you do, that you share the same worldview, that they see the problem as the problem. These people are the people in your community of faith. Now, your translation says church, but the word is assembly from Greek. And that really means a group of people that know you, that knows the person, the 99, they know the one. And in our context here, in our local gathering, it's our circle groups. A group of people that knows you and cares for the person. This is the community that loves the person and shows up for them and pursues them to bring the one back, to help them. Circle group is a place to build trust, build hope, and build community. If you're listening to this and you're part of our local community, if you're not in a circle group, would you let us know in the chat and one of our pastors will be in touch with you. We want to make sure you're part of an assembly of people that love you and care for you and get to know you. And so when the, when the assembly goes and pursues the person and if they don't see the world as they do and they refuse to listen, as the verse 17 says, then you approach them as someone who doesn't share your worldview, still in love, still in hope but as someone who doesn't see the world as you do, like a pagan or tax collector. That's what Jesus is saying. That's that's the context of this. Your love and care for them might look differently now because love requires us to act differently in different situations. This is so big and it's so important to catch here. These verses in the context of the teaching is all about confronting things that cause us to stumble, to have the best in mind for all people. 
We can't cherry pick verses to make them fit our agendas. Jesus is saying, get rid of things that cause things to stumble. Confront them. And, when they, and if someone has a different worldview when they're confronted, you still love them. You still care for them. So Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point their fault out. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus is asking us to put aside our fear of rejection, our discomfort with conflict, and our apprehension around confrontation. Because love is not silent. Fear is silent. Discomfort is silent. Apprehension is silent. Apathy is silent. But love is not silent. The emotions of fear, discomfort, apprehension play out as apathy, masquerading as care, sensitivity, and love. Oh, I'm not sure if I should ask. Oh, it's not my business. It's a mask. Let me just say that when God chases us down and changes us through another person, even though it's not comfortable, we're always grateful. I know I have been in my life. I have had people powerfully, honestly speak into my life when I, my direction was beginning to change. So please say this with me. You fear, you discomfort, you apprehension, you are not in charge of me. If there's someone, as you heard this message of confronting something that causes us to stumble, if there's someone that's coming to your mind right now, please first and foremost, put it to prayer. Jesus asks us to love others as he has loved us. Would you in love challenge somebody whose behavior, whose addiction is causing them to stumble and wander off? When we see someone we care about make bad decisions, we can either confront them in love or we hope someone else does it. But many times we opt for the latter under the guise of being kind, not wanting to interfere or um, waiting for them to ask us for our input. But we should ask ourselves, are we really loving or are we letting fear, discomfort and indifference be in charge of us? Would you let your love not be silent? Is there someone who needs you to move past fear, intimidation, or discomfort, or apprehension in order to help them change? You may be the person God uses to help them take a step in the right direction. But even if your efforts don't directly lead to change, you'll have done for them what God has done for you. Or maybe you have been stumbling yourself. Maybe you've been wandering off. Maybe you've been trying to figure out your way back to the 99, back to Jesus, back to the shepherd. Would you reach out to us? Would you let us know in the chat? Would you just somehow connect with us, even in the private message, to let us know or in an email? And one of our pastors will be with you. So who needs to hear from you? It is your business. It is your business because love is not silent. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you leave the 99 and you chase the one. We thank you that when we have been the one, you have chased us, you pursued us, and you just loved us. And we thank you that even when we didn't accept us sometimes, when we were the pagan, when we were the tax collector, when we had a whole different worldview, you were patient and kind, so much so that we could not help but want to know you more. We thank you for that. 
Help us to get rid of things that cause us to stumble. Help us to confront those things in our own lives and help us to lovingly care for people in our lives, to confront agents that cause us to stumble. We praise in your name. Amen.